This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try and unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I am Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my co-host Greg from Studio One Designs. Hey, how are you, buddy? I'm good. You're not going to believe, right? I actually gave a big thumbs up as I read that intro today. It's like anybody, like somebody was watching me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well done. I love it. But you always say Studio One Designs, like, you know, there's more than one. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, my apologies. It is Studio One. It is Studio One Design, the one and only Studio One. You got it. It's, oh. It'd be like, you know, Pixel... Partners H- HQs. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, it just comes out. My apologies. I'll go back and re-record all of them from past All episodes. of them. Yeah, no, it's all good. You only do it sometimes, so it's all good. Uh, um, look, I've got a little bit of hay fever today. We've got to, it's a windy spring day, so maybe my brain's not connected. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, well crazy weather here, but not windy, just freezing. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, what have you been up to this week? Oh, mate, they have sick family, so we were going to go to the snow again, but unfortunately we had to cancel it. So one thing we have been doing, though, we're, we're building a new house, so just went to the builder's world of style to pick out all of our well, you know, all of our finishes, basically. And, man, yeah, they've got some good designers that put together themes for, for people to make it really easy for people. So it might be, you know, a Greek theme or a I don't know, resort theme or whatever. So... They pick color palettes and materials and pretty much everything so you can just go, right, I want that theme. So it's really clever. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's kind of like website templates. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at least, you know, people can just see roughly what they should be doing. And then, because a lot of people have no idea about design and, you know, you walk into some people's houses and it's like, uh, yep, you should have got an expert in to help you choose these things, you know, because things are just a big mishmash. So they take out the guesswork and at least they guide you. So you can still have your own spin on it, but yeah, they'll guide you if it's going way off track from the theme that you've chosen. That uh, sounds very familiar, doesn't it? I mean, how many businesses in their graphic design just, you know, you walk into people's houses, not necessarily because they have bad taste in design, but they it organically becomes a bit of a mishmash over time. Ah, good point. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, and that happens with business design all the time, doesn't it? It's like you have a really yeah. solid brain, but it, because so many different people are, are putting their input and, you know, maybe you do something slightly differently, it becomes a little bit of a mishmash. Exactly. Yeah. We find that, yeah, we, we get marketers that have been online for, you know, 10 years, they've got a lot of different looks going on. So they often come to us to pull it all back into line. And that's where, you know, we would recommend having a style guide designed first to then design everything around that style guide. Yeah, absolutely. And take a leaf out of some of the big corporates, you know, they revise their style guides every one to two years to keep them, keep them cohesive. Anyway. Fresh and yeah, cool. Awesome, man. So what are we talking about today? Or what have you been up to? Uh, What have I been up to? You know, I've, I've been really, really busy. A couple of major projects, a lot of photography work and a lot of work for Amazon sellers. You know, there's this new Amazon storefronts that, that Amazon is doing and we're, we're sort of building out structures and systems to deploy those for, for clients. And that's that's groundbreaking on the Amazon level. Yeah, cool. 
So it, let, it lets you have your own storefront within the Amazon ecosystem. So it's, it's really, really interesting and a lot of fun. Nice. They're evolving fast, aren't they? Yeah, they are evolving fast. You know, they're such a powerful marketplace and they're really trying to take it to the next level and really bring more capabilities for the sellers to give great content to the buyers. And, and I think that's critical, you know. Mm, I love that. And it's really given the little guy a chance to compete with the big guy. Sometimes they can do even better because they don't have the overheads. Yeah, absolutely. Our topic for today is really, it's, it's around understanding some of the basic rules of design. So, you know, for, for the designers that listen, it's just about, I mean, you and I, when we talked about this topic, we, we sort of, we brought it to the table and realised that we do, and our team do a lot of these things naturally without putting any thought into it like it's just part of the process for them but if you're a business owner and you can't always have a professional designer do your work for you or you know you're you're taking something that they've designed and expanding on it knowing some of the basic fundamental principles is really really going to help and that's everything from you know the sort of the rules of layout and you know some basic rules around font selection and typesetting and and white space and and all that sort of stuff so we're mm. going to try and just you know th- this is not planned we don't have a, a, a one of our usual google docs for this we're just going to sort of wing it a little bit and and bounce off each other and see how we go hey greg yeah man absolutely so what's the first one you have there buddy look i think the first one i want to talk about is kind of the rules of layout you know when Mm -hmm. you're when you're positioning different elements together and how they they interact so you know this came out of a series of designs that multiple designers in my team did for a concept and my creative director rick came back and said you know uh you guys all used the golden ratio right within the design and nobody actually did it intentionally it's not like we overlaid that that shape the golden ratio shape and positioned our elements with it we just did it organically and naturally because it's it's embedded in the way we think so things like you know the golden ratio or uh, things like the rule of thirds i mean what, what are your thoughts on a couple of these and do you have any other ones on top of those two well yeah the, i mean to me the golden ratio is really like the fibonacci sequence you know that's what we're talking about here isn't it so it's kind of like a spiral correct yeah cool and so i mean just for for listeners just to if you don't know what it is it's uh, fibonacci was basically a nickname for uh what was his name leonardo italian mathematician leonardo of pisa right known as fibonacci we're talking you know way back in 1100 and something right but he's a mathematician and he came up with this design formula which you know we still use today which is pretty incredible and it's basically adding uh let's say number one to itself right so you end up with two and then you add number two to the number before it number one so then you end up with three and then you add number three to the number before it you end up with five and it just keeps going in this sequence and then if you draw an, a line going through each of these numbers if they're if they represent a box and a volume it creates this spiral and it's actually the way that you're when you're designing something really good that has a nice balance and it just feels right it's usually because you've followed subconsciously this formula in design and yeah the results are uh, just a nicer feel of a design yeah and one of the things with the fibonacci sequence is that it is seen in nature 
all the time. Yeah, right? it so, is. So you think of a, a beautiful shell at the beach, you know, mm-hmm. that, that swirl, that shape fits within that sort of Fibonacci uh, sequence or the golden ratio spiral. So, so you know, it's an interesting one. And if you're... If you just simply Google it and go to Google Images, you'll see a bunch of examples of of that particular ratio or the, the spiral. And, you know, you can even clip one of those images and drop it into your design and overlay it over what you're doing just to see how it fits. And if, it, if your design doesn't fit within that, see if you can manipulate the elements to fit within that ratio and, and see if the design works out better mm. for you, you know. I just sent you a link... <laughs> Of Donald Trump's profile on his head. <laughs> I've seen that one with the with the the the, uh, the golden ratio over his uh, ear and his hair. Yeah, look, I mean, there's some there's some funny examples of this, but the the thing is, right, that you know, I don't use that particular one very often, but I use the rule of thirds because that's a a really strong one within photography. And mm. you know, I was taught that the re- one of the reasons why the rule of thirds works and the, so for the listener, the rule of thirds is where you divide the vertical and the horizontal into thirds and you rule a line and those four intersecting points that you get uh, are kind of uh, particularly good spots and actually it kind of fits a little bit with the golden ratio as well. Mm, absolutely. And we had uh, a guest on our podcast a while ago, Ryan Spanger, he's a videographer and he also mentioned that he does the same thing in videos. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've been using that for, for years in photography and I and I compose yep. my images based on that. And yeah, I was taught that one of the reasons why it's, it's such an important layout is that if you, as a child, uh, when you look at your mother's face, where the corners of the eyes and the corner of the corners of the mouth are, are in those thirds, and mm. that subconsciously is a place where you look for emotion and and the the key elements in in a person's face. So, and I don't know how true that is, but I remember being taught that in my early days of photography as a cadet photographer. So it's it's stuck with me and it served me well, right? Um, the same reason why when you use the crop tool in Photoshop, one of the options is to have the rule of thirds lines as an overlay, you know, yep. that, that it is a basic principle. That's cool, man. I love that. Yeah. So, and look, just another couple of things, obviously we've got a lot of designers on our teams and, you know, there are some, some common mistakes that I, that I see, you know, not, not necessarily all of our designers, but occasionally they'll make these mistakes. And so like for me, one of them is just not having enough contrast in images, right? Or not, you know, just not giving them enough, what's the word? Like pop? <laughs> not pop. <laughs> like they'll just take an image and just use it. And it, it's kind of got a lot of gray tones to it, you know, and it just feels quite flat. So yeah, I just find by giving images a lot of contrast, it can just put more attention on the bits that it needs to have. And it just doesn't feel so dull, basically. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I think, we, okay, so we've talked about just a couple of sort of basic layout rules, right? And I think the next thing that I find really important is element selection and contrast, right? And and it's not just, say, for example, selecting an image that has contrast, but what about the other elements that it's interacting with? You know, is there a nice mm-hmm. balance? Are they meant to gel together or are they meant to stand apart? And that goes for image selection, font selection, 
colour selection. I mean, we live in such a wonderful age where, you know, you can just Google colour schemes and you'll get, like your experience with the the interior designers where they've come up with themes. You know, there are people mm-hmm. that have come up with themes. I mean, if you look at the Adobe suite today, they actually have colour themes built into it. You can use a colour picker, select a colour, and it will suggest colour themes that give you that right balance of of contrast in colours, right? Ooh, nice. And again, these are things that our design team would do organically, Um but not necessarily think about it. And I'm trying to encourage my designers to put that extra level of thought in. You know, you get expert error when you don't think about things, when you do it so automatically. So why not just have a simple checklist if you're a professional designer? You know, have I met some of or all of the basic design layout rules? Have I, Mm. you know, selected fonts that have the appropriate amount of contrast? And in some cases, you don't want contrast. You want the fonts to all be similar. Have Mm. I selected images and colours that have the right amount of contrast? Exactly. And, you know, even with fonts, just try not to overuse fonts. Like, don't, sorry, don't use too many fonts in in the one design. You know, I find... You know, some designers will just put three, four, five fonts just because they're cool fonts. And but honestly, they don't always look good together. Font pairing can be quite quite a difficult art in itself. But it's usually only two fonts. You know, not not anymore. And I just find, yeah, having too many fonts can really make a design look messy. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because it's interesting you say two fonts because you know when I do anything with design, I have a two font rule. There you go. Now, do you, when you say two fonts, do you sort of stretch that out and say two fonts plus their associated families? Families, yes, absolutely, yeah. Because sometimes you need that for the hierarchy, you know, for the the weight of the font. You need certain things to stand up more than others. But, yeah, absolutely. A, a font family could be classed as one font and then a, a contrast font that complements that font as a second font. Yeah, yeah. And even with the font, so I have a, a rule of two fonts and a rule of three family, right? There you so, go. Yeah. so what we try and do, and this doesn't always work, but we aim to use only two fonts and then we aim to use no more than three members of the family within a design. Right. Yeah, excellent. So that just, and, and it, it stops you from drifting, you know, having those rules in place stops you from going, oh, I just need to highlight this one thing. Oh, I'll just make it, you know, uh, extra bold instead of bold, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ask yourself the question, well, why do I need that extra differentiation? Yeah, and it, it, yeah, absolutely. It may not be needed at all, but obviously the goal is to give things certain weight, you know, so it has a certain hierarchy because if everything was the same size and weight, there'd be no hierarchy whatsoever. It'd just be like a paragraph. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what do you think? We were talking contrast and we talked fonts. What do you think about uh, complementary fonts versus contrasting fonts? Uh, compl- well, it depends on what the, what the end goal is with it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, if you, for instance, want, I don't know, like a T-shirt design, they need to complement each other. You know what I mean? But if you're doing a, a website and you need one thing to stand out a lot more than the other, you'd probably use a contrast font. Yeah, look, I, I think complementary fonts are actually really, 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 really hard to do. So fonts, fonts that are the same type of font um, in that, you know, they're, they're both... Um, you know, the same sort of kerning and rounding and, and shape, 
that work together is really, really difficult. I think, you know, contrasting fonts is probably a more, e if, you, if you're a novice, it's an easier one to do. So you use two fonts that are distinctly two different font families or, mm -hmm. you know, very different shapes and and do you look do you uh, i know i do this and but i'm not not the best designer but do you look at key letters in the font to make comparisons like i always look at things like the the o for example to see how they're going to interact because you get some fonts that have a really ovaled o and some that are really really round mm -hmm. i don't i don't actually do that but i do just look at it as a whole and for me it's all about the feeling you know it just needs to feel right and i find that's a key word that you know, designers might follow rules and align things, for instance, kind of get off track a bit, but just alignment, right? They'll go, okay, it's all center aligned, but it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? And to me, it probably comes back to that Fibonacci or, you know, golden ratio thing where it, it doesn't feel right for a reason, you know, because it doesn't feel natural. And so therefore, I don't care if everything's perfectly aligned. If it doesn't feel right, that's more important. Yeah, look, absolutely. And and don't be scared to play with your alignment, you know, like, mm. and I think this is one of the limiting factors with digital technology today is that we tend to use the fonts and the spacing and the alignments just by the click buttons that are available in the, the formatting, right? Yeah. But really stop and think whether you need to add a little, remove a little spacing just to get that that nice, polished, finished flow in your in your font. Look, typesetting, typesetting is a skill in itself, I think. I agree. I mean, yeah, even down to the space in between letters, you know, if, for instance, you want a, a classier kind of font, you just open up the space between the letters and it can look a lot better than if it's all bunched up together, you know. But then also you want to have good readability as well. So don't just design. It depends if it's, you know, like I said, a T-shirt or whatever. But, yeah, you want it to be legible. Probably not so much on a T-shirt, but if it's on a web page, you, you want it to not just be designed well but be uh, legible more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we're throwing a lot of stuff out there. I mean, we've kind of jumped around from uh, design layout rules, so the sort of the rule of thirds and things like that, to the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio, to talking about contrast and fonts. But I think at the end of the day, what this comes down to is maybe just put a little bit of time into understanding what those basic rules are if you're not a professional designer. I mean, it just amazes me, even people, you know, designing simple PowerPoint presentations that just don't understand things like, you know, the hierarchy of your content, you know, your eye should easily flow from the most important thing through the steps to the least important. Would you agree? Oh, 100%, yeah. And it's not just for, like this podcast episode, it's not just for designers, but for clients that want a better, more consistent result for their brand, you know, their products or services. What I find is, you know, really simplify the, the brand elements. So don't have too many different elements or too many different looks. Be consistent. Like, for instance, if you, if you have, I don't know, a angled you know an angled i don't know line or or shape you know it's just on an angle for instance keep that angle consistent throughout don't throw in a different angle and a different shape and you know just keep it to a minimum and you'll get a more consistent memorable result absolutely what about things like i mean i mentioned it before what about things like hierarchy how would you if you i mean again designers know what hierarchy is they often do it naturally but 
How do you, I mean, do you have like a sort of a set of rules that you think about when you're designing? Do you stop and think about, well, what's the most important thing on this page and how am I going to make it work within the hierarchy? Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if I can articulate it well, but to me, it's all like if if it's a website, it's about positioning the the client or, you know, the website as the authority, right? So to do that, and we also need to draw their attention to, to one thing, which is generally the call to action, but we need to have a few other elements still designed in a way that has hierarchy and clear space to give focus on what we want people to focus on. But we need to put things in like the USP and, and potentially the benefits and there might be a video and there might be social proof, you know, some testimonials, some client logos, things like that, but it all needs to be kind of all these other things. They need to be pushed back so they don't stand out as much. They can't compete with each other. So you need to put more emphasis onto things like the image, the headline and the call to action, everything else just pushed into the background and kind of out of the way. Yeah. And look, you know, maybe, so I think there's two different ways to create that hierarchy, which is levels of or layers of contrast, which mm-hmm. is kind of what you're saying, you know, where yes. just those elements jump off the page or jump off the screen. Yeah. And, and the other way too is... Or clear space. Yeah, well, clear space. Uh, literally a mm. flow of your content, you know. Yeah. So if, you, if you're if you not an expert designer and you're trying to put something together, just keep it really simple and just put the most important thing first and have a nice linear path to the to the final thing. And that could be from top left to bottom right. It could be from yes. the top of the page to the bottom of the page or from the left of the page to the right of the page. Yeah. It amazes me how often we do a really, really beautiful design and then somebody says, oh, well, we really need to make this statement. Can we just put a splash over here on the right? And what that one little change does is forces the person's eye to go off track on the flow that we've designed. Does that make sense? Mm. Oh, 100%, man. Yeah. When we do landing pages, it's all about respecting the flow of the copy. And if you ruin that with design, you've just, you've lost a sale. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not an expert designer, just use directional flow to keep it really, really simple. Just say, well, what's the most important thing? And don't try and fit it in just because it fits in that space, if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And look, the eye naturally reads a web page in like an F pattern. You know, a lot of heat map prove, proves this, you know, heat maps on, on sites showing that people generally like just, you know, draw a capital F, for instance, right? So the majority of their eyesight will be drawn to the top left of the screen first, and then they kind of read across, and then they go down, and then across, and then down. So that's just what heat maps prove that people do the majority of time on a web page. Now, you can break that, and that's usually on pages that have a lot of copy as well, right? It's kind of how you read a book as well. But you can break that F pattern by, yeah, just you know, like we're saying now, give things the right hierarchy so that your eye is drawn to certain things and not others. And it's interesting because I think you and I, and I definitely have had this conversation with clients, which is the difference between Western design and Asian design. And across Asia, you find that feels really uncomfortable to Westerners looking at the way they design things. But a lot of countries don't read from left to right. I mean, we're talking about English-speaking Western countries that mm-hmm. read from left to right. So the eye is naturally drawn in that in that direction. But if you're from a country that is n- that's not the norm or that's not natural, it 
absolutely can be harder to design if you if you are marketing the same thing to different cultures does that make sense mm, yeah absolutely yeah so we don't often design or in fact we i don't think we ever design for anything other than western cultures so i've just taken that for granted yeah absolutely and you know maybe some of your customers don't even think about it or they don't even know you know like the question of well how big is your Asian demographic or your Arabic demographic. And some may have a, a large portion of those and not even think about the fact that that might be an impact on the design. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just, you know, we are talking about fonts before, just jumping around a little bit, sorry, but um, I, I just thought of a little error that I see sometimes, and that is if you're typing a, a small paragraph, right, a part of a design, and you have one word that ends up on the last line all by itself. That just annoys me. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, those stray words, and it's yeah. so easy to fix. Um, I mean, it is a little harder to fix in things like Microsoft Word, but you know, as a professional designer, it, it is not difficult to take care of. Uh, mind you, how do you deal with that on web pages? Because you don't, you don't have that tiny little bit of extra detail on web pages, and then. You know, when the uh, the responsive pages scale, you lose a little bit of control as well. Well, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, you can't always control it. But, yeah, for me, I just – if I notice it, then I will always have it fixed. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because really the coders will need to have that rule in their mind when they're coding for each of the responsive screen widths, right? So – that's, I guess it comes down to, you know, if, you're, if your code is thinking of that or not. But, yeah, ideally, you wouldn't have it at all. And it's the same with a, a paragraph that, let's say, if it's in a book and you just have a paragraph that goes to the bottom of the page and then pops up to the, the top of the, the next paragraph, you know, next to it kind of thing. If there's just one line on that paragraph, it looks super annoying. So you need to work out a way to tuck it into the existing paragraph, not, a, not separate it. Yeah, look, and, and I've been known to rewrite a sentence in a paragraph just to drop two words yeah, there you to go. guarantee yeah. that it will fit within that space. So, so yeah, I totally nice. agree with you. And listen, while we're on fonts, you know, if you want to see some really, really nice font pairing and you know, contrasting fonts and complementary fonts and things like that. Go, go and have a look at the title slides <laughs> that Greg's team designs for The Real Magic. I mean, every single slide has an interesting use of fonts. Uh, not title slide, that's not the right. The, the hero Preview, image. feature image, yeah. Yeah, the featured image. Yeah. Go and have a look. I mean, there's nearly 100 examples there. And, you know, it's it can be... Looking at things like this can be a really great way to gain inspiration. I mean, you could look at uh, two fonts that appeared on our site and say, hey, I could use a similar font pairing, you know, a handwritten font next to quite a bold font, you know, uh, yeah. a narrow font next to a wide font, right? So there's some really, really good examples. And your team does this exceptionally well, Greg. Thanks, dude. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, they are good. hope they're listening. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that my team don't, by the way, if my team is listening. <laughs> but we work in very different markets, right? We so do. A lot, a yeah. lot of our stuff is product packaging. So for us, font selection is only the first step because quite often when we're using mm -hmm. fonts on packaging, we do quite a bit of extra work to that font. So it, it almost doesn't look exactly like the original font by the time it's on the packaging. It's very rare that we just take a font and we slap it on a 
on a design. Mm. Um, we will add effects and styles and things like that to to the font to make it a little bit more unique on the packaging. Nice, nice. Yeah, you definitely need to do that on packaging, don't you? Yeah, if you don't give font a little bit of treatment, it can look pretty boring on packaging. Yeah, and look, I'm going to wrap up the... F- well, unless you've got anything else in point, I'm going to wrap up the, f- the fonts discussion on, on one thing, right? If you're not sure, don't try and pair fonts. I think, I think that's a really, really fundamental, yeah. simple thing, right? Have one title font, use a different member of the family for subtitles, and then just use a really, really simple body font. Use Arial, use Helvetica, use any of those simple fonts, you know? And that takes away the need for font pairing because things like Times, Arial, Helvetica depending on what your main font is, we'll go with just about anything. Would you agree? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I've got one more on fonts as well, man. So with paragraphs on a web page, you really shouldn't have your fonts, depending on the font size, with any more than, say, eight words in one line because unlike reading a book where, you know, we're looking at a screen and it's actually flickering a million times a second, whatever that is, but it, it's actually your eyes can jump around a little. So if you're, if you have lots of fonts, or sorry, lots of words in one line, you, your eyes can jump around. So it's best to keep it to about eight words roughly. Well, look, take newspapers and magazines as a great example right they mm, use yeah. column structure for their wording i mean we're, we're doing a job absolutely talking about this today where we've got a uh, a document that needs to be formatted and the client specifically requested full width on a page right but then when i looked at the, the content there were lots of short paragraphs and short sentences and i went straight back to them and said this needs to be at minimum a two column format because it will be really really difficult even on a piece of paper, for the eye to follow all the way across a page. Yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. So this is not a digital thing. This is just basic fundamental typesetting. I mean, they've been printing newspapers like this for, you know, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years? How long have have newspapers and books been in print? Uh, books forever no hundreds yeah but not newspapers well, but I mean, still mo- yeah modern modern print rather than you know one-off prints like they may have done in the past but yeah, yeah you know so yeah. keep keep your width of your columns short it's probably the reason why most novels are a, a particular size you know they're not larger um, mm-hmm. because it's easy to read it is absolutely yeah but uh, look it is i would still argue that on a web page you'd even have to be uh, more conscious of this because it is harder because your eyes do jump around. Yeah, definitely. Because of the refresh rate, yeah. But, okay, what else? Any other rules of design? Uh, Look, you know what? We could probably go on on and on (laughs) and on and on. But I think that we've made our point, right, that there's all – we've used a lot of sort of design jargon and terminology and – but if you you are a designer, you probably do these things naturally – why not create yourself a simple checklist to, to double check your work? Because I can certainly say I've sent proofs off to clients and then the client said, oh, it's, I don't really like it. It's not really where I want to be. And then when I look at it and I really, really think about did we meet some of those design rules? And I think, oh, we're miles off. If we'd just done it like this, it would have felt so much better, you know. Mm, and if, nice. you're not, if you're not a designer and you're trying to do it yourself – you know, spend a little bit of time. It's not a lot of time and learn some of these rules and, and try and implement them and you will see how much your designs will improve. Exactly, yeah. And if you think back to when people, you know, first had 
computers and they they could design in i think microsoft word and do rainbows and arcs and bevels and drop shadows uh, people would do the works they would do absolutely everything that they have available right so um, a professional designer will get rid of all the distraction and all of the overuse of design and this is kind of my golden tip which is really to simplify your design styles per design so don't overdo it. Strip back the, the amount of amount of fonts. Strip back the amount of elements um, and colors that works. Just keep it to a minimum and you're going to get a much nicer design. Oh, that was the one thing at the beginning of this episode that I meant to bring up somewhere. And you've just said it, which is the Seinfeld rule, right? Which is once you've got your design and you've got all the elements on the page and you're pretty happy with it, take a step back and ask, what can I remove from this design? Nice. You know, because I mean, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld spent, you know, hours or days trying to take a seven word joke to a six word joke to make it, <laughs> to make it perfect, you, you know? So, so th that principle applies. And once you've got everything on the page, even if you're a designer and your client says they need all those things on the page, ask yourself the question, what could we remove to make this yeah. design better? And, and, Here's, here's a classic example to wrap up on. You know, people show five or six images of their product or their services because the six images encompass all, all part, parts of it. But the question is, could you just have one image that would make the design better? Mm, nice. Hey, you just reminded me, and I heard this tip a while ago and we tried it with some clients. We used to do presentation boards for clients uh, when they're pitching for a, a new brand and things like that. And we'd always just on purpose, put a little mistake somewhere in the design, like put something totally random in the bottom corner of the presentation background, like, I don't know, a tiny little blue rabbit or something. You know what I mean? So it's completely out of context. And then they'll go, yeah, I love the design, but can you just remove that blue rabbit? Because they want to have feedback to improve it. You know what I mean? So, so you say give them give them a, a, an obvious mistake yeah, so yeah. that they focus on that mistake. And that, that's, that's interesting. That's really, yeah. really interesting. Uh, um, <laughs> it works. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look, I think we've done a pretty good job of just sort of hammering home the fact. Just learn the basics. You know, you don't, if you're a professional, you know, review the basics. If you're not a professional, learn the basics and uh, keep your design simple. You got it. Thanks, Greg. That's been an awesome episode, considering we just winged it. <laughs> you got it. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, listener. Catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.